You all to know that you're listening to a podcast about Atlanta sports set. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And this week we will be discussing Atlanta sports set's iconic 1995 album, Jagged Little Pill. One I'm sure you've all heard of. One of the biggest albums we've covered on this show for sure. <laughs> a lot of albums. This is definitely um, one of the highest selling and with some of the biggest hits that's for sure from a young artist and it was her first international like this was the one for her yes yes it was um she was 21 when this was released started wow insane to think about but she actually did take over the world it sounds like with this so that is a so crazy to think about, but for a bit of background, I think a lot of people probably know about this background at this point, because it's a, it's not what people expected after hearing this, if they hadn't known. But before this, uh, Alanis Morissette, she's in, from Canada, and uh, she had an cr- entertainment career there. She was on a show called You Can't Do That on television, and uh, she, in the early 90s, released two teen pop albums um with i know the single on one of them was called too hot and uh this did come to surprise people after she became internationally known for these songs but the thing was um long story short these songs that she was doing uh this kind of teeny bopper stuff it wasn't really her it wasn't really what she wanted to say and uh she wanted to write more personal singer-songwriter type songs. And so she met with a guy named Glenn Ballard, who uh, at that point, 1993, was best known for writing Michael Jackson's Man in the Mirror and for producing the group Wilson Phillips. So another guy with pretty pop background, a higher esteem maybe, but still a very pop background. But they connected right away and began writing songs together. And really, Alanis Morissette was just a young woman who just wanted to let the world know what she felt, and that was what she was going to do. Yeah, make it down from Canada to L.A., literally start writing her own music and getting at it, speaking, you know, really putting her feelings on the page and people actually putting it on a record. Even though, as crazy as it sounds now, they shopped that around for a hot minute. Yeah, it is crazy to think about now, but it just wasn't the first thing that people were expecting. I think particularly from a woman, because by this point, like, the grunge era was well underway, but that was a very male-dominated movement. And uh, this was something a bit different, and there were some early 90s female artists that had like some indie acclaim like a Liz Fair or PJ Harvey but they, those artists hadn't really broken through to the mainstream in the way that Alanis Morissette would but she did have the backing of a major label she signed to Maverick Records which was a subsidiary of Warner Brothers founded by none other than Madonna so Ooh. I did not know that part. I knew it was Maverick, but I didn't know the Madonna part. Yep, Madonna founded Maverick Records. I, ah. I It doesn't exist anymore, but she did. And this, I think, might have been her first artist signed to it. Um, that makes way more sense now. Yeah. 
So yeah, she had the backing of probably at that point, the most well-known woman in music um, overall by that point. Mid-90s, everybody knew who Madonna was. She'd already broken all the records. So to have that backing was pretty, that was a big thing. Yeah. Like, for sure, to have Madonna co-signing for you and definitely made her more likely to get a big chance taken on her. I mean, that and for me, even speaking from inside the time, she has had and has a unique sound. Without a unique sound back then, you were just another grunge sound at this point, you know, it, it, especially if you're not getting uh, big time record labels behind you. But her sound was so unique that I think that really had a lot of the of the gusto for her, of the reason that she got this up and on the records, you know, up and in the record stores. And it was wild to see, you know, it, you instantly wanted to listen to it, or I, I speak for me, I instantly wanted to listen to it because it was something fresh and new, but it also like fit. She always fit, you know? She didn't stand out like a sore thumb in a bad way. She just had a unique sound and fit the, really the the whole music back then, you know? It, it was a neat thing. Yeah, and it's, very interesting to consider because obviously where she started in 1991 with teen pop yeah it was definitely it was in many ways very far from what she was going to do but in many ways it can be said that pop background actually helped her be the one to cross okay. through to the mainstream with this sound because she definitely still had alt rock cred yeah that was made very clear from the get-go but that pop background i think really in some songs more than others really comes through and was allowed her to have a mass appeal and really just helped the album take off and there were super high expectations for it immediately after all this was a new artist she was not going to be hyped up to be the next big thing even with the co-sign from madonna like they weren't going out of their way to say this girl is going to be a huge deal. There wasn't a hype train like preceding it, it seems. like It was expected that it would hopefully sell well enough so that she could do a follow-up album. Yeah, that's a really good point. Her pop sensibilities shine through here, and I didn't even put that into it, but now knowing that it's just her and Ballard for the most part, with a few exceptions that we'll talk through or talk about throughout the album, uh, wrote and, and got these songs done. So yeah, I guess uh, it's a neat thing because there is a true pop sensibility in her music. So, oh man, I'll take the the booze on this one because I was full on machining her uh, without talent in Canada in my brain, you know, just like, oh, she's a dime a dozen pop star. But that that's a really good point. Yeah, in a weird way, it did help her actually get that huge crossover success. It's mm -hmm. And actually that did... Well, first off, so this album really broke through because the lead single got played on KO, KROQ FM in LA, which was a major rock station that did play a big hand in what got big. And that lead single, which we'll talk more about when we get to it, got so many people's attention that they just wanted to know more and it was off from there. 
But one thing that I've read was with great popularity, of course, there are going to be detractors. That happens with any artist who gets this big and sells this many copies of an album. There were some who felt, well, no, she's too pop. She's like sanitized Liz Fair or PJ Harvey. You know what? I'll speak for me on this one. I never felt like that because I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have dug it. You know, I didn't feel like she was a sanitized PJ Harvey. That's crazy. You know, or, or, or that's wild. That's wild to think about. I, but I never thought of her like that. Yeah. I don't think she's a watered down anything. She is just such a unique artist. I, again, I go back to that. That's why she she made it, everybody's ears perk up. Yeah. There might have been some that sounded more aggressive, but she still was in control. I don't think there's any denying that here with yeah, this album. We'll see it throughout the album. And there there's an adoption of different 90s genres that maybe people were saying, oh, this pop girl's coming out, you know, and, and just taking these cookie cutter ways. But we'll get into it more. I think a lot of those instances in this record are immediately sounding cookie cutter but if you really get down some of these compositions have a great genius inside of them as far as putting a new name into the sound that was going on back then i completely agree with that but and so did many others so yeah this album at this point it sold over 33 million copies worldwide wow yeah, it was the highest selling album of the entire decade of the 1990s, actually, worldwide. So, <laughs> wow. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. And, um, I mean, I think its influence has only, uh, it's still very present, and this album's never gone away. The songs have remained popular throughout the years, and it certainly influenced plenty of artists after. I mean, certainly some of the big pop music from when I was a kid, like the singers, like, especially Avril Lavigne oh, or yeah. uh, Michelle Branch or even earlier Pink songs, not so much her stuff now, but Heard. when she was doing like, just like a pill or whatever, there was a lot of Alanis in that, I think. Yeah, she was, well, and we'll definitely get into it more, but she was one of the uh, more powerful voices as far as what she was saying. And, and she was getting radio time, you know? Yes, she most certainly was. And uh, I mean, its legacy just keeps going because of one interesting thing everybody may not know is that um, end of 2019, about Jagged Little Pill became a musical. And um, yeah, there's been a lot of musicals out there based on the work of popular music artists. And But uh, I was fortunate enough to see this on its tour when it came here to Baltimore. And I have to say, I don't think it was a perfect musical, but I have to say it was. It really did say a lot about the brilliance of these songs that we could create a whole story out of the songs on this album and make yeah. it work. And not just a straight biopic musical. 
because the ones that you see there are, there are quite a few biopic musicals the most famous is probably jersey boys but that's a straight story or in some cases the plot's pretty nonsensical and lightweight like mama mia because but she doesn't know who or like that's just very lightweight but it works for abba songs but this is actually a much more realistic tale it's about like a small town and how a rape at a party changes this small town and the repercussions for everybody and the main protagonist or, or the main girl is mary jane yes am I correct yeah which plays in this album i thought that was genius i also that 2018 was when it started to hit the road correct the musical i feel like it might have been in like london or not i mean i know it got postponed the national tour i heard I, I was just COVID. saying it, it running this long is great you know yeah it, it no, says it something is, to it yeah it is still uh it seems to have been quite a success and people are um have responded well to it. And I'm glad to see. I don't think the show's quite as gritty as it thinks it is. But sure. that's really my only uh, complaint. And some, you could argue it's a bit preachy, possibly. But overall, I think it... I enjoyed it overall. But I think it says a lot about the songs on this album that we can make it a musical and create a somewhat realistic story out of it. Hot tea take. Even with a little bit of preachiness, I think that embodies what Alanis was doing on this album. Oh, it does, yeah. You know, that that's wild to think. Maybe it's overly preachy on purpose sometimes. Oh, I, I'm I would sure. hope so. <laughs> I mean, it very well may be, and uh, but she was very heavily involved with it. Um, she even composed a couple of new songs for it. That sounds. So, yeah, her fingerprints are definitely on it. She's still saying what she wants to say. And as we know, she'll be playing at that Ocean's Calling Festival. And she's the artist I know I'm most looking forward to seeing, actually. Um, uh, really wanted to see her last year. Glad she's coming back. Because, um, yeah, this is just an iconic album. And I can't wait to hear these songs live and experience it with so many people. I think it's going to yeah. be incredible so yeah i have weird me I'm, I'm almost positive i saw her back in the day in a festival type setting like an hf festival um but it's it's very vague so i'm yeah. excited i'm excited to see that yeah a at least you didn't go to woodstock 99 because she did play there yeah no <laughs> i wanted to be there but in hindsight i, I think it worked out okay <laughs> that you didn't go because. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, but hey, they're both subjects of HBO documentaries. Alanis Morissette at Woodstock 99. There you go. There yeah, you go. actually, hot tea take. Not everybody may know this. The Woodstock 99 documentary on HBO is much better than the one on Netflix. Yeah, I forgot about that Netflix one. No, it was, there was so much left out, I felt like. And just important points, um were made in the HBO one and in a more succinct package. So that is yeah. my hot tea take on that. <laughs> I just wanted to say it, but it, it's kind of relevant because she was there at Woodstock 99, one of three female artists at this festival. <laughs> she was a kick-ass girl, man. She was yep. a kick-ass girl then. <laughs> she, she was. 
most certainly. But uh, in the meantime, so you can stay up to date. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Turntables and Tea Podcasts and on X, formerly Twitter, at Turntables Tea. Also, subscribe and rate us if you're listening and give us a nice, yeah, give us a really nice review, please. That would be most appreciated, especially as we dive into our Ocean's Calling journey over the next month. And with that being said, we're gonna, I think, get into our track by track of it all. Let's get at it. All right. So um, the album starts off with All I Really Want. And uh, yeah, I'm just going to say, this is an iconic opener. It so sets it just to hear her say, first line, do I stress you out? Like, we immediately, the first time I, I'm like, okay, this is something like different. Like, we're just going to be. Like, she's going to really be putting it all out there. Like, my sweater's on backwards, and it's like, I'm crazy, but I still want love, basically, is kind of the whole thing of this song. But this expressiveness is, I think, just quite, I think the directness of it is very, is a bit startling, but also very refreshing. But... Again, that different sound, so much of this different sound, I think, has to do with her voice. Uh, because she has a very expressive voice, <laughs> I guess you could say. And um, it really, se- she really sells what she's saying. But really, we've got different stuff here. We get those fuzzy guitars you might expect at this point in 90s Rocky. But we also get some blues harmonica in there. So it's... um. A very cool song. I think it's a great song. It was the sixth single. Really didn't chart that well, but I think that was because by that point, everybody knew the song. Yeah, I mean, statement piece is an understatement. This is a full-on out-the-gate, just like her, this is what you get. Um, I'm fed up with fake back and forth, especially in the dating scene uh, or in the love scene period. This is wild because never back then did I take it like this, but listening to it now, it's almost like a super powerful speed date she's on (laughs) where she's just going at it. Even the bridge at 235 is this really cool dating back and forth where it's just question after question she even stops the whole entire track here um to be like why aren't you comfortable with silence it's a really wild statement piece here and and i love it uh definitely a super awesome way to start the album i i think i'm with you you know it never really charted it's not one that the people that just know the hits will call out uh but it's a super iconic and super awesome opener yeah, it, it definitely didn't get as much rotation even beyond this album's initial cycle. Uh, yep. Because um, I'd never hear this on the radio. But the other singles, yeah, I've heard them plenty of times, even throughout the years. But um, yeah, especially the next song. I think that's the perfect time to get to our next song. So um, the, the second song is You Ought to Know. Um, so this is one of those songs. It seems a lot of people remember their first reactions when they heard it. So I'm just curious, what was the vibe of this like uh, when this came out? What was the consensus on it? Like, what was it like? Because I wasn't there. It's a, as I feel like all, all the songs back then that really were giant hits are were polarizing because it was, you know, you would take sides. This one, sort of blurred the lines but 
there was also we talk about Alanis and the and the way she was, you know, outspoken, but there was this brashness that a lot of people were like, I don't know if I dig that, you know, like she's almost too loud uh, for for a young lady in her sense. And this song was the one everybody heard. So it was really out there, like in their face. Uh, and people were, were back and forth of whether they they stood behind it or not. I always jammed on it. I think it was off air uh, when I was talking to you about this one. But it, there's, I mean, there's parts of this song that I still yell out loud just because it's such a cool song. It's so, it's done so well. I, I never even knew back in the day that uh, Flea and Navarro yeah. were, were in on this, you know? So that was an added layer that I loved. Uh, and I'll talk more about that when we go back at the musicality of it. But as far as back then, it, it was it was cool, man. It was super cool. I always dug this song. Yeah, this one. Um, I mean, you're right. It's hard not to yell these lines. There's so many great lines in this song. It's one after another. But um, I mean, I think I'm thinking if you click the stream on this podcast, you've heard this song by this point. You you know what they are, but uh, the big thing a lot of people seem to still remember, like my mother will even say, like it was just so explicit to hear, and it's that one line that every it sticks, and no one <laughs> because it's a wild thing. Period. For, yeah, uh, you to hear a lady to say to an ex lover, maybe not so much now. Okay, maybe we as a society are a little bit. Um, We've seen it all, you know, we, yeah. we, we're used to seeing it. But back, I mean, I, 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 you know, I curse on here all the time. What am I even thinking about? Yeah. It says when you fuck her and she goes <laughs> off on it and you're like, holy shit, she and, came uh, out of nowhere. And yeah. that's the one everybody, you know, remembers. Oh, but there was, was also the line beautiful. about, I love this one. Would she go down on you in yeah. a theater? That's real. That is real. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean. Yeah, <laughs> she I mean, was in your face here. It it is very real, like all of this. Like it's pretty. She's like, but I I like that she's willing to admit, like she's a bit of a freak. Like is she perverted like me? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean she even says later on, like when I scratch another back, do you feel it? Like she she, I mean, she lets you know this is raw. This is a super cool look inside of a uh, of singer uh, songwriter in like the most crazy brash way right in front of our yeah. face it had to be such I, I imagine it would have to be such a cathartic release uh especially if it was super anecdotal uh, like just a straight stupid release of emotion and that's it that's what the song is and that's why it's so powerful and for me I, even in my opinion, I think that that's why it sticks on everybody because you can yell during this song. Like you can be angry at something out there uh, during this song. It yeah. doesn't have to be a lost love. In most cases, it probably is, but it's just a, it's a song that lets me release. I don't know. It lets me get the, yeah. get the, the yelling we'll, now. We'll all be releasing at this festival. That's what there she I, I I am pumped to hear, hear her play this. Yeah, I, mean, I, I heard it's quite an experience, especially with the ladies. When you hear all the ladies sing it, I heard it. How, how, heard. how great would it be, be if Flea came out and did the bass line? Oh, I, you know, so <laughs> no, great. Yeah. But speaking of that bass line, there, it, there is a composition behind this awesome 
singer songwriter you know scream fest uh that speaks and drives right along her and i love it it matches so super well the intricacies in the way flea takes this bass line from the start um of the song to the end totally match the the power uh of of the lines it's it's just it's amazing it's a really really awesome awesomely done song period and it's it uh it's a again a cathartic release is, is all, yes. all i can keep saying but uh, now i think it's time for the tea as what is this cathartic release because um of course hearing the song like this people definitely wanted to know who who'd pissed her off so much that who could she be singing about and usually i think a lot of that stuff takes away from it but it's impossible not to think that with this song I mean, come on. And um, so she's never actually technically revealed who yeah. the song is about. But somebody who she dated, a sitcom actor named Dave Coulier, best known for his role as Uncle Joey on Full House. Wait, you didn't know this? No, what? It just, this song's about cut it out <laughs> are we talking yep. about? <laughs> that uh, he he actually said that the song was about him and uh alana she said in the jagged documentary that she actually announced but she said it's interesting that you would tell people this song is about you that's pretty wild and, wow. um, I, well, I, yeah, I never knew that they were together the only person i ever remember together with is ryan reynolds um yeah it's but... not about ryan reynolds that was well, it was way, way after but, but yeah wow that's a, that's a wild duo i would have never yeah no <laughs> that my that, mind. no everybody most people i thought knew that at this point <laughs> that it's probably about uncle joey i take it i'm 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 omitting that from my memory yeah. <laughs> it's out I mean, of here <laughs> you, you know <laughs> Full House actually went off the air in 1995, and then this album came out like two months later. Holy shit! So, R.I.P. Dave Coulier's career after that, cause heard that. Though another rumor I heard of it being about was Matt LeBlanc, and honestly, that would be well. I could see somebody thinking this about Joey Tribbiani after he never called the, all those ladies back. <laughs> that's wild that's, but, that's so crazy to think that this is about somebody i know, <laughs> you know? yeah uh, but it could be about anybody that's why i love this yes this we we interpret the songs how we want <laughs> heard yes that is how we do it and yeah this was the first single massive hit you all know it yeah <laughs> If you don't, you ought to know it. But that's that's for real. <laughs> but um, you know, these first two songs were pretty pretty intense. So uh, I think that we are this. We're gonna take it down a few notches, actually, with our next song, which is perfect. Um, a much more mellow song than the previous two. Um, uh, kind of about the pressures of growing up, and she's kind of singing this as somebody giving advice, which um. It's something that we'll hear again on this album. And uh, it's interesting to hear it coming from somebody who's like college age singing these songs. But yeah. she's just talking about the societal pressures on teenagers. And um, 
Well, I think this is a really resonant song because I, it's pretty hard not to at some point when you're a teen, just being in school, it's impossible not to feel under pressure and like you gotta be doing it perfectly regardless of other factors because it's oh, yeah, so much. Definitely. So I've always resonated with this song and I imagine a lot of people have uh, since then um, because of it. And uh, it wasn't a single. It wasn't like the big hit first song people think of here. But I've always really enjoyed it. I think it just does what it needs to do and it's more low-key way and i also wanted to say um this is one of the songs that i really loved what they did with it in the musical because actually the male lead sang it and i thought that was a cool change yeah this song this song has taken on a whole nother level for me on this listen through to this album critically um as a parent of of two young children as i learn as a parent um and to think it was sung, like you said, by a college-aged uh, young woman and to wonder whether it was anecdotal because there are a few or at least one more place on this album where we'll talk about her strict upbringing. Uh, and there, this is a very strict and loving to a fault of the parent kind of way here. They, this is, there are very easy pitfalls inside of this. Um, when, when you are learning how to parent a child, um, that she really explores and it's wild to think, um, that it was written by someone who wasn't a parent is really where I'm getting and almost thinking if it was to her parents, uh, such a powerful piece, such a powerful, powerful piece. The final line, we'll love you just the way you are if you're perfect, uh, really sums up the, the the whole entire piece. It's it's a very powerful piece. Uh, I, I definitely dig it. And it's a perfect slow down piece, like you said here, uh, exactly what this album needed right on the third track. Yeah, because that was quite a one-two punch. We did need something a bit more... Um, mellow i guess you could say at least musically but musically yeah yeah definitely hits hard but uh you know it doesn't all have to be completely doom and gloom we are going to be a bit more optimistic with our next song hand in my pocket um this is another really fun one i think so it uses a poetic technique called rhyme juxtaposition (laughs) um which is pretty cool i think and it's just one of those songs about how it's we're all so contradictory, basically. It's like, yeah, I'm brave, but I'm chicken shit. I'm poor, but I'm happy. Like, all of this, it's just, it's all contradictory, but you know what? She just has to tell you, everything's gonna be fine, fine, fine. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's got one hand in her pocket, and that other hand's always doing something else. My my personal favorite is playing a piano. Yeah, I didn't is, do it right, that's but that's my one. favorite part. <laughs> I love yeah. them all, though. It, it's such a fun song just vocally. Just listening to her sing it, I think, makes the song so much better than it already is. But even outside of that, I do like the message of this because I think it's like it is optimistic, but it's also realistic. It's not sugar-coated in any way. It's like, yeah... It's tough, but everything's gonna be fine if, you know, you just keep going out and 
given a peace sign or a high five or whatever. You just gotta do it that way, you know. And, um, yeah, I've just always, and I think it's a very melodically pleasing song, too, and I love the harmonica, and, uh, yeah, I've never gotten sick of this one. I love it. Yeah, this is a very, very super authentic piece, and I think I really believe that's why it resonates forever the way it's the just the way it is um, to speak to earlier on when you were talking about just the way she sets up uh, the poetry here and and the rhyme just juxtaposition is a test. You know, it's really a testament to her as a singer songwriter. Earlier on, we were talking about, um, you know, the way she delivers her uh, her singing delivers these vocals as far as the rhythm and how unique it is. And then she she's here showing us how she can really perfect the the prose, for lack of better words. Uh, and it's really well done. Now, another really authentic thing that I love about this song as well is we get to hear her doing the harmonica and it's something that she loves. So you, you get this authenticity here again and the third maybe it's just me maybe but this one always was a cool anthem almost um and this one i didn't plan on it relating to but this one is the other side of a college uh you know a college aged person singing because for me part of the coolness of our generation was to have your hands in your pockets and we would go out of our way uh, to have our hands in our pockets. It was it was a cool statement. Um, and this one always resonated as it's like, it's cool or you're going to be able to get stuff done while you're being cool uh, and having your hand in your pocket. This one is for the, the, <laughs> the hands in your pocket generation for me. It always has been. I, I, I love this song. I, I really, I can't think of a better word than authentic. It, it's her on this album. Most definitely. And fun fact, so this was the second single, and uh, it wasn't as big as you all know, but still very popular. But uh, this was obviously part of having the single meant you got played on MTV. And the video for the first single, you all know, was very heavily filtered. And so she could still go places without being recognized. That changed after the video for hand in my pocket. It was in black and white, but after that, people recognized her on the street and the privacy was gone. All because yeah. of the, this video. <laughs> I, I remember that video. That, yeah. I could definitely see that. Yeah, it was it was a cool piece. For sure. But uh, they may have been able to see her, but could they see right through her? Like she sees right through you? <laughs> Yeah. Track number five. Um, yeah, we're kind of back to the angry breakup songs here. This is uh definitely it's not as explicit as you all to know, but uh, well, it's not too far off either. Um, I mean, wine dine sixty nine me. That's the off. That's the iconic line of this one that got all the attention. But uh, yeah, I just love the overall confidence of the song. Like, she's just so, like, yeah, I see right through you, and I'm going to be big now that I'm a zillionaire. <laughs> it's, um, 
Yeah, it's definitely one of the best non-singles here. It definitely could have been one. And uh, again, I just love her vocals. I think she's having a great time doing it. But we also still get that anger there, even if it is a bit more playful than you all the know was. Yeah, playful, a tongue-in-cheek playfulness here, you know? Yes. You got, I love how it could be a single with this powerful rock jam behind it. But I mean, this is a, a layered song. There's a lot here. And I was reading that she was writing this about her experiences in the industry as a young woman. And it was these um, producers or whoever taking her out, but it's really just a paycheck. Um, you know, they're looking after she's a zillionaire to see if they're in the credits type of thing. So that playfulness comes from her playing the role of being like, ha, 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 throughout this whole entire thing. Because at the end, she's like, here I am with my army and the ammunition and I'm this thing. Uh, and I really like that because with if this was a, a screamer like you ought to know, I feel like this one wouldn't have hit the way it hits here. You know, she plays the part where you're listening and you're like, oh, this is a cool rock song. But really, she's like, yeah, you're seeing, you know, you're seeing right through me, but I'm seeing right through you in the sense of this is a powerful call out to the the bull crap that I've seen. Yeah. And uh, I mean, she'd already just in just a few short years, she'd already experienced quite a bit um, from the powerful men in the industry. So it was definitely important of her to write this song and it. Well, wasn't the first time she called them out, but it was, I mean, it wasn't the last time she called yeah. them out. I meant this, that was what I meant to say. Wasn't the last time she called them out, but <clears throat> gotta start somewhere, and this is a great way to do it, I think. Yeah, most definitely. So, but, uh, yes, yeah, so we mentioned her upbringing earlier, and, uh, well, that's what the next song is about. Track number six, which is Forgiven. Um, this one specifically tackles the fact that Alanis Morissette was raised as a Catholic. And um, in her words, she, it's kind of in general about the purity culture. A lot of it's like, basically, if you're a virgin, you're a prude. But if you've had sex, then you're a slut. And it's just that culture that, in her experience, the, in her experience, it sounds like, the church put on to young women. And she's really writing about it. It's kind of interesting to have the song taken on the church right after the song where she talks about getting 69. But that that's the kind of album this is. Um, you know, she just, I think this is a very real song and she's taking on a really hefty, topic of Catholicism and like what does that mean for the world a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on it but I think it's really powerful that she uses her own personal narrative to also make a social commentary which is what I think she does really well with this song and uh this one actually really elevated for me a lot after seeing the musical it was of course it during the scene where Mary Jane goes to church for the first time in a long time. So, of course, she sings Forgiven, because, well, makes perfect sense, too. But uh, that really elevated the song. This one in particular was the one I think I left the show really liking a lot more and appreciating more on the album, just because it could be used in that context. But it's a really 
powerful tune, regardless of how you feel about Catholicism. Yeah, the, the purity part of it is is the part of this Catholicism or, or really just of upbringing. I'll say at the time, and I'll use my own opinion on that one. Um, it, you saw that a lot. You saw this shaming once it happened. But if the virginity was there, like you said, it was, oh, you know, you, you're not cool. You're a prude, yada, yada. Um that was inside of her personal and that's so i'm so happy you said that because this is exactly where i was too this commentary hits so much harder and becomes valid because it comes from a personal place and she does such a great job in this one to have it not an over preachy piece about a strict Catholic upbringing, but more so a really personal piece. I love the line in there where she says, my brothers didn't go blind from doing what they did. And that's the old, um, the old wives tale of you'll go blind. If you play with yourself too much for, <laughs> for lack of better words. Um, but she really tackles it in a personal way and it's done well. If I have to nitpick this one, it's the at 315 she goes falsetto and it's really handled wrong in the mixing of it and in, in the production of it i feel like it's it's only the one hit and it's it's just it's it's not mixed well she makes it out of it without if you're not critically listening she makes it out of it without falling on her face but it could have easily been touched up and 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 put away it doesn't add to like a raw feel or anything. I just feel like it was it was poorly poorly produced, poorly mixed. But that's my nitpick. This is a really awesome song. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And you're right. It's so important that through this personal narrative and not too preachy because I think she realizes everyone's experience is different. Um, yeah. you, whether you grew up in a Catholic church or any other type of church or religion, everyone's experience with it is different. And uh, I think she recognizes that. So very cool song. Nothing to be forgiven for, in my opinion, on this one, because it's a great song. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. But uh, now we are on to that fam our famous track number seven. And uh, this one's one of the iconic big hits off the album, You Learn. Uh, I, I think this is a song about um, the value of learning the hard way. That's really what it is. She recommends that you bite off more than you can chew, put your foot in your mouth, do it the hard way because you live, you learn. And um, 
Yeah, this is also the song that the album's title comes from. There is no song on Jagged Little Bill, but it's a line in this song. And uh, it's probably the most optimistic song here. But again, this is another one where I'm just blown away that someone college age wrote this. Because I do... I mean, I think this one got some flack for the songwriting of it. I feel like, but I don't agree. I do think it's sincere in um, the advice that she's passing on. Like, it does sound wise in its own way. And is it the most wise she'll be? No, but for at this point in her life, I feel like it's very real. And sometimes when you're 21, you do think you know everything. So maybe you are in a place to be saying you live, you learn. I read that this was coming off of her being held up at gunpoint in an alley and that it had torn her apart so bad that she was having daily panic attacks. And even throughout um, counseling, she was having a real tough time with it. Uh, and that's where this was coming from as far as having to get out there and having to put her emotions out. Uh, this is her way of learning. It was a very hard process. And I, I, and that was just me looking into it as far as critically listening to it. This one has always hit for me. Um, the person, the person ability of it, period, screams through all the way from this earwig of a chorus. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those songs, in my opinion, that you're singing along and you don't even know the words because this composition stands so high. It's very, it's almost perfectly written as far as a, as a composition, you know, the, the musicality of the song goes, it's really, really well done, but it's so powerful to hear her going through this. There's no way to deny the powerfulness of this. I think sort of shame on anybody who is like, Oh, she's too young to, have lived and learned. <laughs> That's a very, very tough statement to put on. Yes. A very, very tough judgment to pass there. Yes. People. Um, but yeah, I love right. this one. And it's my track seven, my my favorite spot on most albums. So uh she did an awesome job here on the old seven. Yes. And uh, you were, I do I'm glad you pointed out the earwig of a chorus, because it's oh, yeah. definitely there. This is definitely one of the poppier songs here. I feel like this is one of those songs you lay down. You're like, whoo, killed it. Like, wow, we really killed it right there. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I would have to think you would know you instantly have a uh, a timeless piece on your hands. Yeah, they did. This was, of course, uh, a single, fourth single. But yeah, it was a top 10 hit. Number six on the Hot 100. Not surprising. No, even as a fourth single, this still lives on like you know you're easy listening this lives it can live any yeah. on any station pretty much is what i'm saying oh yeah yeah no this That's is what i've heard a bunch through the years on the radio and uh it just fits in very well with all of it but uh speaking of easy listening i'm glad you mentioned that because if any song is going to go into that format on this album it is the next one which is head over feet um Yep, folks, we have a love song on this album, believe it or not. <laughs> on on one side of the coin, we have You Are The Know. On another side, we have Head Over Feet. Uh, and, uh, well, I think this is such a beautiful song, Um, first of all, because uh, obviously she's made it very clear to us that um, with whatever her ex she's singing about, she was not happy with them. Uh, 
Um, I mean, she she's hopes she's still thinking of them, but I feel like she's almost singing this to herself about the love that she really hopes to have, which is to fall in love with your best friend. Based on what I heard earlier in the album, that's how I take it. But either way, I mean, this one, it just, it's really well-constructed for me. It's very smooth and pleasant to listen to, in my opinion. And uh, I, I think, again, the lyrics are really on point for it. And she sings it well, and it's not as expressive as some of the other ones, but it doesn't need to be because this is a slower piece, but... It's a really beautiful love song, for sure. Um, another huge radio hit, understandably. Just this one, it's hard for me to even talk about it other than to say it makes me fall head over feet every time. Just listen to it. As demure and just very soft as it is, it's still always resonated for me like even back when i was like a high school dude you know because i'm a hopeless romantic and that that plays a part but there's just a beauty inside of this the writing the way that she lays this whole thing out this is a very very almost perfect um example of just outright perfect love you know love that you don't expect but love that is perfect for you love that treats you the way you didn't expect you were going to be treated almost unconditionally and this song isn't contrived so it's not it never has felt to me like this was like uh all right put a love song on there it just I'm, i'll use the word authentic again she does that so well she's a very very smart singer songwriter and she is really in in my opinion worn her or her heart on her sleeve this whole entire album so far so i already see her as i already see what she's putting down as super valid so this one always has hit so awesomely as a love song it's a beautiful fucking song i'll say it a curse word there <laughs> i mean song, it man. is it always has been always will be it is a good one it's a good yeah. one Always will be a classic, uh, for sure. Um, but uh, we're, we're going to actually keep it going with the mellowness a bit uh, into our next song, too, which is Mary Jane. This song is not about weed. Uh, other songs called Mary Jane are about it, not this one. This is actually about... Um, she's actually asking, what's the matter, Mary Jane? So it, it in the song, it sounds like she's singing it to her friend who's like always happy on the outside, but is really struggling, even though she's the sweetest person. But uh, I actually saw in an interview, Alanis Morissette actually said she thought of it as singing to herself as well, which I is also valid. And I feel like the general theme of this is it's about women sticking together. That's really... What her what she's going for with this, and um, I think it works on that level. The problem is, uh, um, it is not as dynamic as the other songs here, and uh, it's not a bad song. I don't feel the need to have to skip it, but after I heard all these, frankly, classics, this one really pales in comparison. I mean, especially right after Head Over Feet, which is such a beautiful 
love song and softer piece. This one just doesn't grab out like that. And she can do the softer pieces. We heard it with that song. We heard it with Perfect. This one just doesn't reach that mark quite for me. Yeah, I I like the fact I looked and I didn't see that she was writing about herself, but I always felt like it was because for me, it was, the the weed reference aside, Mary Jane, like if I'm looking for a name and I don't know somebody's name and I'm telling a story, you know, it'll be like Mary Jane, Jane in the last name. You know, it's just a, a, a generic name. So I always thought that was a cool thing to do here is speak to Mary Jane because Mary Jane could be anybody. And yep. it felt to me like it was it was her talking to herself. So that's cool. But that again, I'm right with you. That, that's where it, it ends for me. Um, this composition is a super odd fitting composition in, in my opinion it almost feels like the the composition itself or just whoever's playing here is trying to find the time all the way to a minute seven it's not until the line i hear you counting sheep again mary jane is really where for me the composition even starts to fit together and it really never takes off it's not dynamic uh it isn't a skip, though. You're right. It's not a skip. I don't think I have a gun to the head on this. I might, but, I, you know, this one so far, has. it's not even like a, uh, it's not a filler. It's it's not that song, but it's not yeah. a great song. It's yeah, not a it, great song. It's not low enough to be filler. I mean, no. on a weaker album, heck, on like a significantly weaker album, it could very possibly be a highlight, actually. Like, I bet you if like, nope. This might sound disrespectful. I'm not trying to disrespect it. But like, say if this were on Jules' album, it would be a highlight of the album or something or, something like that. You know what I mean? But just not here is the problem, I think. I feel. And that, well, it also does come in between uh, two massive hits. And uh, the biggest of them all is our next one, track number 10, Ironic. The song that's not actually ironic. It's been pointed out many, many times over the years that what is presented here is not actual irony. It has been argued that it's situational irony, though. And it I, is. It totally it is. is. It is. Damn it. I hate this argument. And yes, it is situationally ironic. There's yes. rain happening on the happiest day of your life. That's ironic because the happiest day of your life, you didn't think that there would be rain. Yeah. You wouldn't want rain. So it's ironic. Yeah. Darn, also, darn all those people. <laughs> yes, and it is ironic to win the lottery and die the next day, too. I mean, of course. come on. It, but yes. Or no, get in a plane crash. But too many people have made jokes over the years. I'm not saying they're not funny, but like, golly, gosh, they ran that in the ground. Until she finally flipped it around when she was with uh, Andy Samberg, uh, Lonely Island. It, yeah. she, she, you know, she has fun with it later on, but I'm sorry. I didn't mean to blurt that out. <laughs> no, I have to say, actually, I really respect that she has such a sense of humor about the song because uh, that just makes me like her more. It's very clear to me that she knows what the deal is, but she's going to turn it on its head. It's even referenced in the musical. This song is presented as a poem in an English class. Hey. And... Uh, there's an argument about whether or not it's ironic. And one guy even says, who cares if it is? It's good. And that <laughs> basically, I think that kind of sums it up. Because, yep, guess what? It's a good song. It's a well-constructed, well-written pop song. 
And that's why it was a huge hit. That's a big part of it. That's just on that level. Does it hit you lyrically as hard as other songs here? No. But from that pure craftsmanship level, there's no denying ironic. And this is another one of those songs. It just fits with any format. It fits anywhere. And that's why it did as well as it did. It's kind of shocking to think it only peaked at number four, though. Feel, it feels like it would have been number one, because it's never gone away. What single was this? It was the third single. Third, okay. But the way the charts were done there it was so odd, and uh, it's not always reflective of how popular a song truly is. But Oh, man, yeah. This one, this one... As iconic as it is, that's mind blowing. I'm sorry, that took me for a loop there. It never made it to one. That's wild. I mean, it's perfectly set on this album because it could fit anywhere. We get it. But here we get after Mary Jane, we get an acoustic bit here and it sets perfectly um, as far as, as pacing on this album. I love her voice on this song. I love her voice, period, but here, I just have always really enjoyed her singing on this one. Um, it's a good one, man. It's it's a timeless beast, and this is another one where she shows, I don't care if people think it's ironic or not, I'm not talking in a super literal sense, but her mastery with the prose, her mastery with being able to construct an airtight song an airtight piece it's it's amazing she she doesn't stop she doesn't stop through this whole album as far as really handling her poetry at top notch you know yeah most definitely and this is another example of it say what you want about it but <laughs> at this point i think it's kind of a moot point though i think we, we've all kind of accepted it so and she's owned it too gotta love that she did that yes Mad respect, girl. Mad respect. But uh she she is um the poetry is gonna continue, I guess, with our next song because after all, she is a writer, she's not the doctor, which is track number eleven. Um yeah, this one this one's more of a it's got some attitude to it. I feel like it's more sassy than angry, which I <laughs> kinda like. Um I mean, I feel like this song, it definitely sounds like she's singing to an addict partner is definitely what it sounds like. To me, it always has. It's like, I'm not your prescriber. I'm not the doctor. I'm not going to give you your booze or your pills or whatever. I've always taken this song as that. Um, I mean, I like the attitude of it. I, I think it's a... I think it's a cool piece. Is it the best on here? Not by a long shot. Not even, it's definitely in the bottom half of the album, but it's still a really solidly done song. I mean, I take it over Mary Jane too. Uh, I really, um, yeah, I do enjoy this song quite a bit on its own, even if it's surrounded by a lot of better songs. It's still a pretty neat song, I think. Yeah, this one's cool. I never took it as the, uh, as the addict, but I really like that thought there. I always just took it as the like, not even codependent, you know, the the partner, the ex, or whoever 
that you're like, look, man, she even says it like, I'm not trying to carry you in my womb for nine months. Like, I'm not here to be your mother. I'm not here to be your doctor. So if that's what you want, you're, I ain't the one, you know, I'm not the doctor. I'm gonna start using that line. I ain't the doctor. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just a really cool song. I was surprised, I have to say back then, that it was another acoustic song right back to back with Ironic. And now with a critical ear on it as the penultimate it really struggles to find pacing here it's not, it's a cool song i dig the song um i'm with you it's on the weaker half as far as like charting them it would be on the weaker half of the album um but yeah the pacing here is tough i love the opening riff of the song the opening riff i love the opening riff of this song but this one it's just it's it's in the wrong spot to start and it just doesn't really take off I, I, it's written well too she writes awesome songs as far as lyrically but this one's just it ain't my fave yeah that that's what that's what it is um but uh yeah penultimate track we're now technically at the last track of the album which is wake up and that uh, basically it's her telling someone to wake up and face reality which i think is a good message um this is the one here. This is the gun to the head for me. It just has, I think this song has the potential to be a lot more than it is. My problem with it is it just stays in the same place musically the whole time. And I don't want that in an album closer. I prefer something a bit more with more layers to it. And I feel like lyrically, this song does have layers. Like I can envision a buildup. Like, I feel like the ending should be a lot more cathartic than it actually is. And it's just not here. I think it's a kind of a weak closer, sadly. I just, uh, and it's frustrating because I feel like it could have been a lot better. It's frustrating because it's at the end of this awesome album. And they shit the bed, as in my opinion, as far as closing this. Like, I'm going to get it away because you already said it lyrically, this song, and I've said it almost for the last couple, but for a bunch of them, lyrically airtight, really well done. I can see this as a powerful piece, just reading it. It has a really cool message inside of it. Like, don't let the same stuff keep happening to you. Wake up, you know, it's not going to come around unless you take it kind of thing. Put that aside. I'm going to yell a little bit here. (laughs) Who in the hell let this album finish like this? You, I'm sorry. It has the same exact beat as you ought to know. Yeah, it's it, so. How in the hell are you going to recycle the? I ha, I flipped back and forth like twenty times and was like, "You got to be kidding me!" Like, how are you going to put another powerful song on the same beat as you ought to know and finish the album off with it? It is it. You want to talk about pet peeves or peeves? Period. This one is up there for me. Uh, I haven't felt this pissed off for an album closer in a long time, critically. Uh, I don't really remember this one from back in the day. I'm going to say right now, after Ironic, this sort of fell off for me as far as, you know, listening to the CD or the album as a whole. But this one critically is like, who in the hell? It's like between the two of them, they did such a killer job, this whole album, writing songs, even with Flea and, and Navarro having to do uh, their thing on you ought to know and then we get here and we sort of run out of ideas musically 
Like she almost had like too many songs written in my opinion, this all I can take from is like, you guys just recycled another song on this album. It, oh, it makes me so mad. <laughs> it really does. Terrible way to end this awesome album. I know. I mean, I, I guess wake up just kind of makes you want to fall asleep again. For real. <laughs> that's the, that's the best I can. That's the best I can do for it. this does not encourage me to wake up. Sorry, Alanis. We were, yeah. we were doing, oh yeah. However, we are in the era of hidden tracks. The old era. And so, um, the CD of this, it ends with a remix of You Ought to Know. But after that, we get our hidden track, which is called Your House. And um, it's not so much a song as it is just an, a poem, an acapella poem that she sings about her going to her ex's house because she misses him. And it's quite literal she just wants forgiveness and um you know would you forgive me love that's uh the refrain of this um i mean does it fit this album at all no that's why it's a hidden track but i think it's beautiful to listen to i think it's a quite a stunning piece um how literal it is, that I don't know, but it's definitely something you can really imagine what's going on and feel the pain inside this story. And I think it's just perfectly done for what it is. And I'm so glad that it it really does, I have to mention, because it really actually does end the album on a much better note than Wake Up does. Yeah. And for that, I'm grateful, and uh, easily the best hidden track we've covered on this show. Easily. But uh, I'm just glad it's the actual album closer, most of all. Yeah, I heard that. Uh, it's so funny. I think it was off podcast, but you were like, this is one of the best hidden tracks. It really is. This is what a hidden track should be. This yeah. is the cool ones. The ones that make you wait even still on Spotify for like a good two and a half minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a separate it, track you know? on Spotify, but it's uh it's really and it's a neat one. It's one that it's so well done, even just as a you know, as a bonus song that I always fantasize of it getting a full I don't know if it ever did, but you know, uh, you know, a full production behind it because it's a really cool song. It's a really neat thought. It's a really cool, quick uh, encounter with herself uh, inside of possibly breaking and entering charge. But yes. <laughs> you know, it's really it's a neat one. And you know, I, silver lining. Thank you for for bringing happiness back to my heart because I will. I'll take that as a as that true closer to this album over Wake Up Any Day. Yes, and uh, there isn't a video for it, but I have seen that I, I can't help myself. I have looked at her set lists recently just because I want to kind of know what to expect. Your house has been, has made live appearances frequently this year. You think she's doing an acapella? I have no idea. I'm not going to look it up. I just want right. to hear it, but... Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm I'm really excited. I really hope she does this in Ocean's Calling. That is for sure. And it sounds like there's a good chance that she will. So I'm very excited about that. But also, um, off note, anybody who can get this to message to Aladdis Morissette, I haven't seen Hands Clean on all of your set lists. It's not on this album, but please include that one too. But <laughs> end of that. Back to this. So, yes. Jagged Little Pill, 
a, a, a jagged little pill that's a beautiful album though yeah really well done yeah i i think i i think we both are on the same page grading wise for this but uh i will ask what's your grade oh alanis jagged little pill uh front to back iconic album we we've really went through all of my feelings on this album but to surmise it I'll use that word authentic again. There's authenticity inside of this whole thing. And it's coming from an artist who set out to do that and did it 10 times better than anybody thought she would ever. It was really, really awesome. Even with some missteps and some some nitpicking here, there is really no fault inside of this album other than the wake up don't get me wrong i'll never forgive them for that but that one still doesn't take me outside of this album to really ever have anything other than that to be mad about this is the easiest jagged little pill i've ever had to swallow and for for that i give it an a yeah this this is this is an easy a for me for sure i i knew going in it was this is actually one of the albums that is as beloved as it deserves to be. This deserves all of the success and acclaim that it got. It's weird. It was on the updated Rolling Stone list of the 500 greatest albums. This one was number 69. Wow. And somehow I still thought, you know, it still seems a little low. Yeah, that does seem low. <laughs> out of, out of, wait a minute, you said out of a thousand? Out of 500. Oh, out of five, it's still that's super low. It still seems a little low. I thought it was forty-five on the hundred, but maybe it's from that year. No, that that's a separate list. But this newest list, and it was out of that. Like, okay, I'm because I remember actually looking through this list and thinking, okay, jagged little pill better be high on this list because I haven't seen it yet. And there it was, and I was so happy to see it, but I was like. You know, I still think it's a bit low. <laughs> it, was in, it, it was in the Wine Dine 69 spot? Yeah, that's, that's kind of perfect, though, actually. <laughs> I didn't think of that. But just, it just, I was a little shocked. I felt, yeah, it's pr- pretty high praise. It was in the top 100 of this huge list. I still think it should have been higher, but... <laughs> What are you yeah. going to do? And uh, yeah, I really, really cannot wait to hear these songs live, finally. That's... If you had to go off this album, what's your most anticipated song off this album to hear? Live. To hear live. Yeah. I mean, it's. I, I'm not going to say it's my favorite track. That's a different one. But you ought to know live has got to be an experience. I can't wait for that. I agree. I agree there. I, that's going to be that's going to be a wild one. It's going to be a yeah. wild one. It's tough to pick off this album, but I definitely have to say that's going to be be a cool one. Yeah, you learn. You learn might be super cool with a bunch of people, too. Ironic will be, too, actually. Oh, yeah. Ironic will be fun. Yeah, it's going to be a banger. Yeah, but uh, of it all, though, maybe not the one you're most excited to hear live, but what is your favorite track? You have to remember to do those. No, that's true. That's true. We're we're breaking the curse here. My favorite track on this album for me has to be You Ought to Know. I I can't get around that. And you know, I try to, I don't try, but I, you know, I don't necessarily gravitate towards the most popular song on the album, but 
I, I, that song is undeniable. It always has yep. been. It always will be. <laughs> that That's what it is. But uh, I am going to go a bit against the grain and not pick the obvious choice, actually. My favorite's right. Hand in My Pocket. It's a good one, man. It's a good one. This, that, this that's the one it. I just <laughs> always go back to every time. Every time. Oh, man. Can't wait for this one. This is my most anticipated set of this festival for sure. Uh, th there's a lot going on, but I really, I haven't seen her before. So that's a big part of why I'm so excited to see this too. Yep. So so for those who don't know, we are kind of doing this by day of the festival. So Alanis Morissette will be there on day one of the festival. So that's why we're doing this one first. But uh, on day two, uh, the, the day two pick is another anticipated one for you. And uh, it is. So, yeah. So please. Yes, please tell us what we will be doing next week. Day two. Day two. Seen him a bunch. With his boys, without his boys, with different boys, with Grateful Dead boys. But we're going to take a a second stab at the, the one and only John Mayer. Except this time, not on such an experimental run as he was with the John Mayer trio. This time, we're going to go and check out an album that he did called Continuum. All right. We, we did talk a bit about those songs in their live form on the John Mayer trio. But now we'll get to talk about them in their finalized form which is um very exciting i think too so uh, i'm excited to do that in addition to the other songs on the album of course of course the good old john mayer we're back in it with my boy johnny may yes that that is your man that is <laughs> that is for sure all righty yep so there we go continuum and uh you know what we're, we're all still waiting on the world to change. And maybe we won't be able to, but at least we'll be we'll still be back here. You can depend on us. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it, guys. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Peace.